Oh, good morning. Uh, okay, so we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're only going to do the first half of chapter 12. We're only going to do the first 10 verses, because there's something important to unpack here. So a major theme in the last chapter, and in this chapter, is Paul's reluctance to boast. Now, he's not saying that anyone who does boast is, is therefore not a Christian, um, because obviously all Christians are human, we're subject to mistakes, but he is really pushing home this point that if we are people who like to brag about things, boast about things, we are on a knife edge because boasting almost always exalts you and not someone else. And if you and this is a little practice, think about the things you talk about most, the things and in conversation, are you boasting? Are you talking about yourself? And here's, a, here's an experiment. When you're in a conversation with someone, try and not boast about yourself, your family, your house, your job, or anything that is in any way related to you. And it's going to be tough because actually what we do a lot of the time, especially if we're parents, is we boast about our children. And as much as we should boast about our children in, in many ways... What this comes down to very often, if it's parent versus parent, is we end up boasting about our children to, in fact, make it seem like we are better than the other person. Um, that might not be true for everyone. I'm not saying it's true for everyone, but this is just a big challenge is that Paul is setting down. So don't boast about anything but God. Um, and chapter 12 continues exactly where chapter 11 left off. Um, Paul's statement that boasting will do no good. But he's going to do it anyway um, to try and silence the false apostles. He is acting just like the false apostles in order to hopefully uh, silence them because he's worried that false teaching is going to ruin the Corinthian church. So if you read the first four verses, and there's a lot to unpack there and some... Some odd little use of language. So what do you think? Is this vision he had strange? Have you had similar visions or experiences? And Paul says he's reluctant to speak of this vision. Um, and before we can say that he is humble bragging, look at verse 2. He says that this happened 14 years ago. He has sat on this vision for 14 years. And what he has to say about it is this. I don't know whether I was out of my body or in my body. And he sees things so astounding that he can't express them. He doesn't know what happened. And now this is obvious that this is something that he has been keeping in his heart for 14 years. And perhaps it's something he has meditated on and reflected on and tried to read scripture to seek out and figure out what it was. But he's, he hasn't boasted about it because he doesn't understand it. And... Because it's of God, he is humble before it. And an odd note is this idea of the third heaven. Um, he's not suggesting that there are multiple heavens. But a common theme in the ancient world is that the first heaven you would is, what you, is the sky. So if you said up there in the heavens, that's the first heaven, the sky. The second heaven would be the, the atmosphere, the stars, planets, or whatever was understood. And the third heaven... That is where God is on his throne. Uh, obviously, he's not saying that there is God on his throne in one heaven, two heavens, and three heavens. It's sky space and then beyond. 
And I look at verse 5. He says, this experience is worth boasting about, but I won't. And there's nothing wrong with sharing a vision or a word. Nothing wrong at all. In 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about prophecies and visions, he does talk about sharing it so people can interpret it. So he's not saying that you shouldn't share your visions. But it's important to have clarity and wisdom when we think God has shown us something. And I wonder if us today, like them in Corinth, looked for big spiritual experiences to, I guess, prove how good a Christian we are or they were. And that's the things they're craving. That's the things we are taught to crave um, in order to boost our self-worth in church. Now, I'm not saying that you do that. I'm not saying that I do that. But I know that that is definitely a feel I have gotten before in certain Christian things. Um, the idea that if one Christian has a super spiritual experience and I do not, perhaps they are a better Christian or perhaps there's something wrong with me or perhaps I'm not in the club. And you might say no, um, but the essence of seeking after the hyper-spiritual especially when this kind of thing is really encouraged in large crowds and big gatherings and big churches, it really gives off this idea, especially to me and maybe to some of you, that the big visions, the big words, the big experiential side of being a Christian are things that you should be seeking after and the things you should really care about. And and it really shows to me this being true because how often are we encouraged not to share visions and how often are we encouraged to keep what we think God is saying to us private or perhaps share it with one wise mentor and reflect on it for a while? Because a lot of the time I think we get carried away. Now, if you read verses 6 to 10 and then pause it and just ask, what do you think of these verses? What do you think has happened here? Um, in verse 6, Paul sets a very important example. He says, even though this vision um, says it's worth sharing, he won't share it because I don't want people to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. And he's saying the visions and the super spiritual things may be wonderful, they may be truthful, they may be wonderful. But what is more important is that the truth of Jesus is lived out and proved in our words and actions because that is what people can see, and that helps everybody else. Yeah, he's telling the Corinthians, and he's telling us, effectively, that visions are all well and good. They are important. They do, they do, you know, show that God is speaking to you. But if that's what you care about most, you run the risk of being hero worshipped as someone who has these supervisions more than you might deserve. So what's more important is to look at the life choices, the words that prove the gospel, you know, in the daily life, not just in the big experiences. And then and this is the famous part of this chapter. Paul, he says that to keep him from becoming proud, he was giving a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Now, it's not actually clear what this, that this thorn is. People have been speculating on this for years. Um, people think it could be a sickness, it could be epilepsy, it could be a disease of his eyes. Remember, he did go blind at one point. 
Um, it could be that the thorn in his flesh is a person or a group of people who are hounding him and oppressing him. And it's not important what is causing him trouble. What is important here is what Paul learns about the Lord. He says that three times he prayed for healing and God did not take this affliction from him. And God did not take the affliction from him, not because he wanted Paul to be punished for being terrible, not because his soul was possessed by the devil. In fact, apart from the notion that Paul uses in the language that a thorn was sent from Satan, Paul gives no authority to any devil or evil spirit after this point. He says the only, the only real thing he can get from this is the reason God did not take the suffering from Paul is to stop him from becoming proud. But also, in verse 9, God says to him, my grace is all you need. And so Paul says, now I am able and glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul understands that he is allowed to have these problems so that he can always live humbly and always be trusting in God and only God to be the last word, the bottom line to all the achievements that Paul does. And what's more, for Paul to continue to travel and teach and live in love to others and enjoy while suffering shows an awful lot about the truth of Christ. So here's a real question here. It's not to do with whether you think that you've got a thorn or anything like that. The real challenge here is, do you believe only when life is good or when your health is good? And do you stop believing if something goes wrong or if God doesn't answer your prayers for healing quickly enough? So in verse 10, Paul says that he can take pleasure in the insults and hardships that he suffers for Christ because when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, he's, he's not. He, but this is, he, when he says I am strong, as we've seen through this chapter, he doesn't mean that, you know, I am suddenly strong. He means I am strong because of Christ. And he isn't a masochist. And it's clear that he would dearly love to be healed. He doesn't want to suffer, but he has learned so much more about God's strength and learned to trust Christ through suffering than he would have had he been healthy and wealthy all the time. And a quick note on this, and this is very much experiential for me, and it might not be the same for you, or it might be. I have been in Christian groups where a lack of healing was understood as being a lack of faith. Does that make sense? Like if someone prays for healing and they're not healed, then the people will just keep praying, keep praying until you believe enough. And if you're not healed, then clearly you don't have enough faith, right? Which is totally incorrect, especially as we read this chapter. That's not, that's not 100% true at all. I have known people in a church who because of sickness or possible emotional mental health, were convinced that this could only be because there was something evil haunting them, that they had been attacked by the devil all the time. And I'm not saying that that is never the case. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am suggesting is that the focus there is completely in the wrong direction. The focus there is only on the negative. You haven't been healed. Well, it must be your fault. It must be a lack of faith. You're, you're suffering. You're upset. You're depressed. Well, it must be because you're being attacked by Satan. This is completely the wrong direction to focus. The healthier direction and the one Paul focuses on 
is that God's grace is sufficient. He says he's got a thorn in his side, right? This might be the first mention of this in 14 years. It's clear he doesn't even want to draw attention to it. He suffers, but he's not going to draw attention to it because what's more important is that God's grace is enough. There's that song, that song, you know, um, Christ is enough for me. I think that's the lyric. And if that's true, then we might suffer and we might have mental and physical and spiritual health concerns. But like Paul here is saying, no, no, I learned that focus on Jesus. Jesus is enough. And do we take encouragement from this that St. Paul suffered and was not healed? At least from this. Do we look at our suffering or our thorns and then focus on God and know that God's grace is enough? That God's love and sacrifice has forgiven us and counted us as righteous and that that is enough. Now, that's not to say, so don't, don't pretend that I'm saying this, if, that if we're sick, we shouldn't pray for healing. And that we shouldn't take medicine and we shouldn't take vaccines and we shouldn't try and improve our health. We absolutely should. And we should pray. And I'm not saying that if that if you have you know, emotional or mental health troubles and God doesn't take those away, that you should just simply do nothing. Because there are lots of things we can learn. There are habits, CBT. Well, there's so much advice on how you can improve your mental and emotional health. But you should also pray. What I'm saying is that suffering doesn't equal being wrong with God or being punished by some evil spirit. Suffering sometimes just is. And the right response, the wise response in your heart is to lean into Jesus, build your mind and your life on the love that is seen in the cross and do everything in your strength to wisely live a life that could help you out while continuously building that foundation on Christ.